Truth Revolution. Where truth and reason meet, this is Truth Revolution. I am Pastor Dave. That's Pastor Jeff. We are from Revolution Church in Salina, Kansas. And today I am worried about getting Alzheimer's. You are? True story. My grandmother had Alzheimer's. It's a terrible way to live, oh, yeah. to end your life. I actually, you know, I forget things sometimes. I forget who this guy is beside me. Who am I? Uh, I don't actually know. He just shows up here and I let him talk. But, you know, I, I'm worried about Alzheimer's. I'm worried about other diseases that, you know, my kids might have. I'm worried right. about the next generation. That's a lot of worrying for a pastor. I shouldn't right. worry so much. But we're talking about stuff like this today because we're talking about humans 2.0. We got a special guest with us today, Dave. Who is it? You mean there's a way for us to avoid all that? To, uh, oh, yeah. Well, oh. maybe. All right. Well, we're going to see. We're going to talk to Fuzz Rana. He's the Vice President of Research and Apologetics at Reasons to Believe. He's the author of several groundbreaking books, including Who Was Adam, Creating Life in the Lab, The Cell's Design, and Dinosaur Blood and the Age of the Earth. He holds a PhD in chemistry with an emphasis in biochemistry from Ohio University. Welcome, Dr. Rana. Glad to have you on the show today. Jeff, Dave, thanks for having me. Man, so good to have you here. You oh, yeah. wrote a book along with Kenneth Samples, uh, Humans 2.0, Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Perspectives on Transhumanism. And we're talking about transhumanism here. This isn't LGBT stuff. This is something else entirely. Would you give us a quick definition of what that means? Yeah, uh, if people who are listening to your show are not familiar with transhumanism, uh, it essentially is this idea that is gaining hold in the academic arena and is filtering very quickly down into our culture. And it's this idea that we have a moral obligation as human beings to use science and technology to correct our biological flaws as human beings. And in doing so, enhancing ourselves beyond our normal, natural biological limits, making ourselves uh, stronger, more intelligent, more psychologically well-adjusted. And the hope is that by doing this, we could actually usher in uh, an improved world, a utopia type of mm. future where uh, there's minimized pain and suffering, where we're promoting human progress and flourishing. And some people even believe that these kind of technological advances could actually extend our life expectancy, giving us some type of, of practical immortality. So it's a, an idea that if people have heard of it, they've usually have heard of it in the, the arena of science fiction, but it really is becoming a, re a reality right in front of our very eyes. Sure. Now, we've always used technology to extend our lives. I mean, I when I was in the fourth grade, I broke my arm. We had surgeries that were able to repair my arm, prevent me from getting gangrene and going septic and dying. Right. You know, so we've always used technology. How does this sort of technology differ from the technology that we've always used? Well, I mean, in, in many respects, the technology that is kind of giving impetus and credibility to the transhumanist vision is uh, technology that is being developed primarily for biomedical purposes. Uh, but it's but these technologies have as their nature uh, properties that allow them to uh, enhance human beings beyond our, again, biological limits. So it's not just simply the idea that we can use these for biomedical purposes. These technologies can be used again, you know, as as human enhancement technologies, and and this again uh, is what is fueling transhumanism. And these technologies are technologies like gene editing, computer brain interface technology, an ensemble of anti-aging technologies that um, again uh, can actually alter 
our very makeup as human beings, our, our genetic makeup. It can we we can uh, begin to meld. Uh, our biological makeup with machines. And so this is where the science science fiction aspect of this seems to come into play. Yeah. And this, do you think, uh, I mean, okay, I, I, I was talking at the beginning of the show, right? I don't want to get Alzheimer's. Clearly there are some medical applications here that probably nobody would really be against, right? If you can put something in my body that would go and edit my DNA and prevent me from losing my mind, Probably almost everybody would be on board with that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it is. That's true for the most part. Okay. You know, when you really start thinking about these technologies and should we use them or should we avoid using them, you know, the 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 there are a whole ensemble of ethical issues just simply in a biomedical context, uh, let alone the ethical issues that arise when we start thinking about using them for enhancement purposes, and then on top of that ethical issues when we start thinking about them in terms of fueling the transhumanist vision. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of this this stack of ethical problems, if you will, and ethical concerns. So for example, while who is going to be opposed to doing gene editing on an adult if that gene editing can either correct Alzheimer's disease or prevent Alzheimer's disease, but should we then do that gene editing on a, on a human embryo to prevent that human that grows out of that embryo from ever having any risk of Alzheimer's. So you see we're we're beginning to apply it potentially to Mm -hmm. a human embryo. Or it's okay to use a computer brain interface which allows a patient to control, let's say, a robotic prosthetic limb if they're an amputee with their thoughts. But, you know, uh, but should we now allow people to uh, voluntarily undergo amputations to develop, to get access to a robotic arm that might make them stronger or, you know, maybe a better athlete or something like that. So the technology can be used for a lot of good, but, you know, it, it very quickly begins to erode into these arenas where there's a lot of ethical questions that start to arise. Yes. And there's, you know, two different categories. There's the can we, and then the should we. And let's, so I want to get into the should we and why it might not be okay for us to do some of this stuff. Because like, you know, when I first heard about this, I'm like, why not? I mean, I mean, if I can remove Dave from the waist down and weld him to a motorcycle, why would Dave not do that? That would be awesome. All I really want is just a longer goatee. <laughs> I mean, so, man, come on. Right. But like, why wouldn't we use this to uh, help people uh, become greater? So we're going to talk about that in a second. The, the reason's not. But the first one is, is can we? Like, what are some advances we've made already? I mean, I know we, I mean, we kind of do this with crops and livestock right now, right? We make crops more disease resistant, mm-hmm. uh, animals tolerant to different environmental conditions. Some of that has been gene editing, right? Yeah, it has. Most definitely it has. Uh, But what we now have access to is something called CRISPR gene editing technology. And the the advantage of CRISPR compared to other gene editing techniques is it's extremely powerful and and, and potentially an extremely precise technology that allows us to manipulate the genetic makeup of any organism almost at will, including human beings. But on top of that, it's relatively inexpensive and extremely easy to use. So for example, just to illustrate, you can go on Amazon and for under $200, buy a CRISPR gene editing kit. 
that if you have Amazon Prime, you could get the next day at your house. Hold on one second. Thing, Hold on. I'm going to order a this. A gene editing experiment on your kitchen counter. What? Now, these are very basic experiments, but this is just simply illustrating the point that these, this is unlike any gene editing technology we've ever developed in terms of its robustness, its ease of use, and, and, and the, the, uh, you know, the, the uh, relatively low cost the, of the technology. And so this means it can move very quickly, potentially, into a clinical setting. Uh, you know, with, with computer brain interfaces, you know, it's amazing what's happening there as well. The advances are happening at breakneck paces. And, you know, uh, you've got this very powerful capability now for, with these interfaces, for patients to be able to control computer software, to control hardware mm. with their thoughts, and even receive electrical feedback from those those devices that our brain can interpret and make sense of. And so again, this is, you know, uh, relatively inexpensive uh, stuff. And so there's actually these, these um, biology DIY movement type, uh, you know, acts, activities that are happening where there are people that are saying these technologies shouldn't be just simply in the hands of you know, the, the intellectual elites, these should be accessible to everybody. So you have biohackers that are going into labs and, you know, again, without any real training in biology, doing gene editing experiments already. You have what are called grinders, people that are already incorporating electronic devices on their, of their own doing into their biological makeup. And so, you know, we're, we're entering into this really, you know, interesting arena where the technology is so powerful and so cheap that anybody can access it and then do what they want with it, whether it is, you know, wise or, or, you know, foolish. Sure. Well, I have Amazon prime and next week I will have a full face of hair <laughs> bet on it. That's right. My kids are going to be the smartest kids in their class by this time next week. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I know th- like, what are some real applications? I mean, I know, okay, obviously the crops, uh, industrial biotech, uh, people are working on developing uh, third generation biofuels, uh, different pharmaceuticals, uh, biomedicines, uh, xenotransplantation, uh, gene-based therapies, uh, controlling insect-borne diseases, uh, the way reproduction happens. Well, I mean, what are some of the things that people are actually working on doing right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, y- y- your list was a really good list. And and so when it comes to these emerging technologies, some of the technologies are going to be used to basically modify other organisms. Uh, you know, this is called synthetic biology in the broad sense. When it comes to transhumanism, the idea is to turn those technologies on ourselves and begin to modify ourselves. And so, for example, you know, an incredibly powerful and good use of gene editing would be to correct uh, genetic disorders. Mm -hmm. And right now with the CRISPR technology, it's ideally useful for treating genetic disorders that involve a mutation in a single gene. But there's about somewhere between five to 10,000 genetic disorders that fall into that category. So we could potentially treat all of these genetic disorders with CRISPR gene editing. Hmm. And right now there's probably no real good treatments for many of these genetic disorders. Or in, in principle, we could even eliminate those genetic disorders from the human gene pool if we're willing to apply the technology you know, at the stage of a, of a human embryo, uh. that, that opens up again, all kinds of ethical questions in and of itself. But that's how people are envisioning using this. 
But again, when you have people like biohackers who think, well, why not use this to create designer human beings, designer babies, or uh, you know, to apply it to adults to increase our intelligence, you know, our physical well-being. And I don't see that there's anything intrinsically wrong with that, but it does seem to me like there is a, a line that we probably shouldn't cross. And the challenge is where do you precisely locate that line? And there's a lot of areas uh, of shades of gray. So we desperately need some kind of ethical framework to help us guide the use of the technology. So to me, I'm excited by these technologies. I see them being used for enormous amount of good, but they can also be misused. There can be these unintended consequences Mm -hmm. that could really wind up creating, instead of a utopian future, a dystopian type of future. Sure. Now, I mean, definitely we're getting into the should we. I want want to ask a couple more questions about the can we. You know, you talked about these hackers I mean, this is this is not like something where someone creates something in their own private lab. They can just you know sprinkle something on your hamburger, and all of a sudden your genes are edited. I mean, that's not what we're talking about, right? No, no, no. I mean, you have to actively you know inject yourself or introduce that gene editing package into your into your bio- body. But for example, there's a a, a biochemist by the name of Sias who. Uh, is well known as as a champion of the biology DIY movement. And at a conference, a foresight conference, a technology conference, he set up a booth where he publicly injected himself with CRISPR gene editing technology that would disable the myostatin gene, which is a gene that controls muscle growth uh, and development. And so in dogs, there have been experiments done showing that when you uh, treat dog embryos with this gene editing package. They develop into these animals that have just this massive musculature. And so people are looking at doing this now with racehorses producing these super horses. And so, you know, why not now for people that are athletes do the same kind of, of technique? Mm-hmm. Well, what so, happened to the, what happened to the guy that injected himself? Uh, uh, nothing as far as I know. Um, and, and to me, it was primarily a publicity stunt, you know, because, you know, to, to effectively do the gene editing, there's a little bit more work that you need to do than just simply injecting yourself with it. You need to pay attention to how you're going to act precisely target the package to the right type of tissues and things like that. Mm. But, but that technology can be readily developed, you know, if people have, you know, minimal amount of funding. And so the concern would be that, not so much that the mainline scientific community would abuse the technology, but because it's so broadly accessible, you could easily see people setting up private companies where they begin to do work in, in providing the, you know, gene editing services for, for parents that want a designer baby yeah. or for an adult that wants to try to augment their intelligence and their emotional capabilities, let's say, or their strength. Sure. Okay. So, you know, in the should we area then, you know, we're, we're probably not going to be able to stop the development of this technology. Uh, things roll on. I know people always talk about, oh, we shouldn't allow this, but you know, it's going to happen. Right. But thinking in terms of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, what are some of the philosophical implications for us? Yeah. Well, you know, to me, what's interesting is that people that are working in bioethics, that are looking at the transhumanist vision and the idea of human enhancements 
really are at a point where they they there are two things that are happening that are frustrating them. One is the technology is progressing so fast we don't have time for proper ethical deliberation. Mm-hmm. But secondly, I think that most people that work in bioethics are working from a secular perspective and are recognizing that secular ethics really don't provide the categories that we need to guide our decision making. And this is where I think the Christian worldview is really unique, is that even though the ethics of the Christian worldview are based on theological ideas that are 2,000 years old, mm-hmm. it is an incredibly robust ethical system uh, that that uh, can allow us to uh, pursue technology development, but in a way that that I think it has the greatest chance of ensuring its best use. And it's all based on the image of God concept. Because we bear God's image, every human being has infinite worth and value. So we want to do what we can to minimize pain, to promote human pr- progress. But we also want to avoid any op- opportunity for somebody to be exploited or for technologies to be used in a way that would be unfair and unjust. But yet, because we bear God's image, according to scripture, we are to subdue the earth, we are to rule over the earth. And so that dominion we've been granted, that 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 assignment to rule over the earth, to be caretakers of the earth is what motivates science and the development of technology. So, you know, it's you know, interesting that the Christian worldview, though it's a very ancient worldview, again, with an ancient system of ethics, is so robust that it could actually guide technological development that nobody could have ever anticipated, mm. you know, 2,000 years ago when the church was being founded. And I think this is where the Christian voice becomes so important in our culture, is that we, you know, if if we are able to, in a credible way, to engage our culture in these very important conversations, I think we have a really good chance of seeing the technology being used in a way that honors and glorifies God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we talk about the creating the image of God, the Imago Deo. And in, you know, a lot of what happens right now in the world is we're trying to reverse the curse. So God cursed the earth when we sinned. You know, uh, there's going to be thorns and thistles. We made weed killer. There's going to be pain in childbirth. We made painkiller. Your work is going to be laborious. We try to make work easier. So, you know, someone has a disease now because of that curse. We try to cure the disease. This definitely lines up with that, right? We can edit their genes. We can help cure some of those things. Why, though, might it... I mean, I hear what you're saying. You're saying, you know, we got to be careful because this might, you know, have a problem for you know, people creating the image of God. It might cause, uh, you know, other people to be enhanced to too far of a level. But I mean, aren't there some people who are born that way, born with way more abilities than other people? What would be wrong with continuing that idea of I'm just going to enhance myself mechanically or or gene wise, even though other people don't get that advancement? What's wrong with that? Yeah, well, I think that the concern in in those situations would be, you know, twofold. One is, are we going to modify ourselves to such a degree that we lose actually lose our identity as human beings? I think that's that's one concern that you te- typically see expressed from an ethical standpoint. But also, there's a real concern about stratification of our socioeconomic classes. Mm-hmm. You know, where there you we, we create a world where there are haves and have-nots. You know, where uh, people that have 
access to the technology are going to be people in the upper levels of the socioeconomic structure, and they already have advantages, and so they're going to gain even more advantages, which then gives them, a, you know, an opportun opportunities that other people who can't access the technology or can't access the the best you know, features of that technology are going to be kind of left behind. And so the concern is that you could very quickly create kind of a, a stratified society where there are the haves and the have-nots, yeah. you know, and, you know, part of the transhumanist vision too is this idea that we are going to take control of our own evolution and in doing so really create post-human species where uh, we're going to alter human beings to such a degree that what results is going to be something that's going to be very different than who we are now as human beings. And so one of the, the concerns related to that would be what's called the salvation paradox, is that in our attempt to try to save ourselves, that we may actually alter humanity to such a degree that we bring about, ironically, our own extinction. And what we end up saving is actually not ourselves, but are these creatures that we have created uh, by our by our own hand that are really post-human. So these are some of the, the ethical concerns, you know, but, you know, to your point, I don't have a fundamental problem with somebody, you know, uh, using technology to to try to enhance themselves, to make themselves smart, smarter or stronger. I don't have a, a real fundamental issue with that, but intuitively it seems to me like there are lines we can cross and precisely where those lines are, I don't know, but this is why it's so important for us to be able to have proper ethical deliberations about, you know, really what are the boundaries, what are the limits of this technology, and and I don't see that right now happening, uh, and I don't see any really good prospects for that happening within a system of secular bioethics. You could also use this technology not to advance just not just to advance yourself, but also to devolve, so to speak, other people. Say uh, I was in charge, I had the money, and I could make myself and my friends more advanced intellectually. And I, if I so chose, I could apply this to a large group of people, give them lower IQs, but stronger bodies, uh, and essentially make them my servants. Uh, I mean, that sort of thing is theoretically possible, right? Oh yes, exactly, and 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 this is really the concern <laughs> is in terms of you know not so much the enhancements, but who's controlling the technology, who has access to the technology, and then how are they using this? And you know, one of the things that I would be, I, I don't have a, a uh, I'm not, um, uh, I don't think I I think the transhumanist idea is dangerous, but I think there's a lot of very positive aspects to transhumanism, uh, it, and. And so to me, you know, again, um, there's nothing wrong with trying to use technology to improve, you know, the, the human condition. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the, the concern becomes, I think, with the transhumanist vision is a naivety that, you know, this is something that else that Christians can bring to the table. And that is the, the recognition that human beings are sinful, that we have this propensity to misuse even the best things that we have access to, or that we use things in ways that are completely unwise, and then wind up suffering these consequences that we should have anticipated, but we didn't. And so this is, I think, the real danger of transhumanism 
from an ethical standpoint, is really the naivety to think that the technology is only going to be used to promote human progress and to minimize pain and suffering, where there could be these unintended consequences, or worse, there could be the misappropriation and and, and misuse of the technology to really create a, a future where, you know, there you're you're going to have again the this the socioeconomic stratification that is going to really be miserable for for people. You know, we already suffer from that in in injustice in inequity as it is. Mm-hmm. Well, but transhumanism with the technology has a, the you know the the potential to further exacerbate it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, any technology can do that, right? I mean, nuclear power gives us a, a, a huge amount of energy uh, at a great cost, but it can also be applied to weapons right. that can destroy millions of lives. So uh, this is a, a similar thing now. Are there any sorts of regulations or laws on the books right now that control any of this stuff? Uh, minimal, minimal regulations that that are in place. You know, you have uh, some professional uh, scientific societies issuing guidelines, particularly with the CRISPR gene editing technology. Uh, one of those guidelines is that it, if it is done on embryos, those embryos are are only allowed to live for a few. A few days before they have to be destroyed, they they should never be implanted into the womb, uh, you know, of a woman to, and be carried to full term. Mm-hmm. Yet we saw just months ago in China a scientist who actually did CRISPR gene editing on embryos and implanted it in in the in in the womb of the parents, giving birth allegedly to two girls, to twin mm-hmm. girls who had been gene edited in such a way that they would now be resistant to the HIV virus. So this is a, so even though those regulations and guidelines were in place, even though there are regulations again as to what we sh- can and can't do with embryos, uh, there's nothing stopping people from doing this because again of the power and the ease of the use of of the technology. So just out of curiosity, right, that Amazon kit. I mean, what, <laughs> and I don't know how much you know about that kit specifically, but like, what what do you do with that kit? It's only two hundred bucks. Yeah, well, you know, those kind of kits would allow you to to probably do gene editing on maybe yeast or bacteria. Wow. And so you you might be able to do something fun like incorporate the gene for the green fluorescent protein into into brewer's yeast and then use that yeast to 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 brew beer that would be green in color, right? Wow. So those cool. are fun types of things that you could do with these CRISPR gene editing kits. Uh, so it's 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 those kind of relatively benign experiments, but if you're willing to put down more money, you can get more and more sophisticated kits that actually allow you to be far more creative and imaginative in terms of what you're doing with the gene editing. And that's where I think the real concern comes in is because now you have people that are not trained in these areas doing things that maybe people who did have the training would be you know, reticent to do. Yeah. All right. We've got a couple minutes left. What are some of the hopes you have for this technology? Well, you know, you know, to me, I think, again, you know, this is exciting technology that, if used well, could really be a positive influence, you know, in the years to come. Uh, but, you know, for me, I think, as a Christian, I see transhumanism as being an, an alternative gospel, uh, because where people are now turning to science and technology as as the, the source for the hope for their salvation, hmm. as opposed to 
the Christian gospel. And so because we live in a world that is increasingly secular, so influenced by science and technology, the idea of turning to science for our salvation is really going to be something that's going to be naturally done. And mm. so I think it's very important for Christians to be able to articulate really um, the idea that technology can never truly bring about our salvation. It can be a, a wonderful tool that can improve our lives. But again, there's always unintended consequences. There's a potential for misuse. But, but for me, ultimately what transhumanism is expressing is a desire for hope, purpose, and destiny that every human being desires. Mm -hmm. And this is being exposed like never before in our culture. And, and I think this is a golden opportunity for Christians to be able to articulate the gospel showing that it's through the person of Christ that we have genuine hope, purpose, and destiny. Mm, that is so true. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get Alzheimer's and die from it. If there's a medical way to get around that, I would like to take it. But at the end of the day, there's no way to avoid death ultimately. And there's no way to avoid the judgment of God scientifically. doesn't matter what technology we develop. God is still God and we still are not God. You know, we're coming up at the end of the show here. Uh, I got a couple more questions for you if you're able to hang with us for another minute or two. Sure uh, can. Great. So if you're listening on the radio on 92.7, thanks for that. Uh, go to our podcast. Uh, it's truthrevolution.tv. That's truthrevolution.tv. One more time, Dave. What is it? Truthrevolution.tv. Yeah, you haven't talked much today. I want to make sure you got in there. I'm just kind of just wanting to get a bigger beard. I actually edited your genes yesterday. I just kind of injected you with some stuff just to see what would happen. That's why I'm so silent. That's why you're so silent. Today. I just, I, you were talking too much, and I was like, what if I just insert a quiet gene into Dave, and uh, I'll get the whole show to myself. So anyway, okay, Whatever. thanks for listening. We're going to do a couple more questions. If, you, if you're listening on the podcast or on YouTube, stick with us for another minute. If you haven't gone out to Revolution Church yet, come on out. We love to talk about things like this, things that are deep, things that are interesting, mm -hmm. but we also talk about what the Bible says, about how we should live, what God wants from us every single Sunday. Right now, our services are at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30. Uh, of course, this is in September 2019, right. so if you listen to this at a different point in time... Things are subject to change. That's right. We're also building a new building. You just got to make sure you're sticking with us. So, Rabbit Eye Church is the church address. TruthRevolution.tv is our radio show address, so if you want to know more about the church, head on over to Rabbit Eye Church. You can watch live on online any Sunday before you visit in person, uh, but bring your kids, bring your family out, see what it's all about. We're going to be right back with Fuzz Rana from Reasons to Believe, his book, Humans 2.0, available on Amazon. Truth Revolution. And we're back. We're talking about the CRISPR gene editor. Is it ethical? Is it not? And one of the things that I was thinking about through mm -hmm. those conversations is... Um, see your gene editing didn't work on me. <laughs> uh, one thing that I was thinking about uh, during the conversations was, you know, one of the fundamental teachings of Jesus was for us to be humble mm -hmm. um, and to treat others as they are better than us yeah, and to help them with their problems and stuff like that. And I really think that that lays out a really good framework when trying to think of what is the ethicalness, if you will, of of using this technology. And yeah. um, my worry is, is that with the secularism um, of the world that uh, that will get lost mm -hmm. and people will begin to actually turn uh, on them, the, the, that technology on themselves with the opposite 
um, teaching of what Christ taught us. Well, yeah, I mean, the world already rejects humility mm. as a value, to Absolutely. be honest. Yeah. I mean, you know, you see, you watch the NBA or the NFL and people get pumped up, you know, they spike the football, they're like, me, yeah, woo, mm. I did it. And like, we pump each other up. Pride is a value in almost every single school yep. across our country. Uh, you know, we can talk about what that means and all that, but uh, humility really isn't a thing nowadays, but it's interesting you bring that up because this really is the anti-humility in a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't know, Fuzz, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's a really good point, you know, because, you know, one of the, the concerns uh, that some ethicists have raised with these kind of emerging technologies, particularly if they're used to extend, you know, our life expectancy, is that we're going to become incredibly selfish individuals where... Mm our objective is going to be to try to maintain our you know our our life expectancy and the quality of our life as as long as we possibly can which means that we're not going to be willing to be generous towards other people to care for other people it's all going to be you know focused on you know ourselves yeah so you know th- this idea of a, of a of a loss of again generosity is a very real concern you know connected with you know, this kind of, uh, you know, emerging technology, you know, and, and part, you know, the people that are transhumanists are largely materialists it's there, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, a secular worldview that they uh, adopt. Uh, and it, it's maybe, you know, you could think of it as, as some version of, or some variant of secular humanism to some degree, but there's this very strong sense that as human beings, we have our autonomy, that we have a right to do whatever we want to do to, to our bodies and, and that nobody should stand in the way of allowing us to use the technology in the way that we want to use it, mm. you know, that, that, and, and so, you know, it's, it's a, it's an inherently selfish, you know, uh, um, framework, I think. Yeah. You know, it's interesting we talk sometimes about how technologically advanced we are compared to a hundred years ago right. or 300 years ago. But I would bet if you were to transport someone from a couple hundred years ago into our culture today, they may say something to us like you have a lot of technology we didn't have, but I don't think the species of human beings has actually advanced. You know, you are no more moral you are maybe even less moral. Mm-hmm. You are no more caring or kind. You are in some ways less caring and kind. You don't even know your neighbor's name. Right. Uh, and I, I think maybe this has the potential to go the same direction. We, we so much technologically, uh, so much technology advancement, but it doesn't advance us morally or in the things that really make us human and make life good. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, one of the ideas that undergirds you know, transhumanism is this idea that, you know, we are, we are on a trajectory towards human progress and that technology is helping to fuel, uh, you know, the, the progress of humanity. And this is called the myth of progress. And, you know, the, that, that myth of progress, uh, has pretty much been abandoned by Mm -hmm. most people that are philosophers or historians of technology, where they'll argue that, that that dream of progress that's associated with technological advance was put to death as a result of World War II. Mm. Because, you know, here we, we made, have, we're making enormous types of progress 
thanks to the Industrial Revolution, yet World War II broke out and it was the bloodiest war that we had ever seen in human history. Mm -hmm. And part of the, the devastation and the loss of life was precisely because we had technology that we could turn and use towards these, you know, uh, you know, malevolent purposes yeah. to basically make the, you know, the war effort even more destructive, more damaging, culminating in the dropping of the hydrogen bomb and the atom bomb on, yeah. on Japan. And so, you know, the, that, that World War II put an end to the, to the myth of progress. And so to think naively that somehow science and technology is, is inv inevitably going to lead to a utopian future is totally absurd. And this is, again, part of the naivety that I see with transhumanists is to think that this is actually going to happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what World War II teaches us is that the more powerful the technology, uh, the more devastating the misuse uh, or, or the unintended consequences can be. Yeah. And, and so, you know, so for people to think naively that technology is the mode of salvation, again, it, it's never going to happen. This is why transhumanism will always be a, a false gospel in my view. That's so good. You know, it's funny because I like to watch Star Trek. Right. And, you know, one of the ideas behind Star Trek is that once humanity didn't have to work to get food, once we had everything we needed provided for us, we were able to evolve morally. But that's fiction. That is not reality. Uh, it doesn't matter how technologically advanced we become, the greatest problem we still have is the sin that resides Amen. inside of us. And there is no genome editing that can remove right. that from us. Only, only the Holy Spirit can change us from the inside out. So that's fascinating. I, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of curious on a personal level, if you could edit your genome, <laughs> what do you think you would do? Uh, well, you know, if there was a way that I could be confident that I could edit my genome in such a way to make myself smarter, I would probably, that's probably what I would go for, nice. you know, all things being equal. But, you know, if, if I wasn't comfortable that something like that could be carried out without, you know, you know, side effects, I would probably be really reticent. But, yeah. uh, the second on the list would be to make myself probably physically stronger, mm. You know, because I'm, you know, a frustrated athlete like probably most <laughs> men, right? I had dreams of playing, you know, uh, in the NFL and in yeah. the NBA and in MLB. But, you know, those dreams are dashed very quickly in my right. high school athletic career. <laughs> right. All right. Dave, what would you do if you could do it? I, I would probably want to get smarter, you know, hmm. um, and, and stronger, probably taller. Hmm. Um, I do only stand at about five foot five and... Um, but uh, that's the whole thing is like, what are the, what are, what's at what cost? Mm -hmm. um, you know, would making myself taller give me, like, I see a lot of bigger guys have knee problems, you know, and maybe I would have to go with, okay, I want to be taller. So let's fix my knee problems. Mm -hmm. And then if I fix my knee problems, what does that lead to? And do I have to, to edit something else to edit that problem out. And by the time you get down the road, you've got a hundred different edits that you've done. And now you're mm. real. Can you be human? Yeah, no, that's a good question. You know, I thought I was gonna be a computer programmer before I became a pastor. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a very real issue. When you have complicated programs, you go in to make one little change. You think you're changing one little thing and the entire system breaks down because everything yeah. relies on each other. So fuzz, maybe you can talk to is, I mean, that's probably a real danger in gene editing, isn't it? 
It, it is. And, you know, and so, for example, if you're thinking about doing gene editing for uh, biomedical purposes where you're trying to treat, treat diseases that involve the mutation in a single gene, they're going in and repairing that genetic defect or replacing the defective gene with a healthy gene is probably going to have, in, in principle, minimal you know, sure. unintended consequences. You're just now, making it what it was supposed to be. Right, right. But when you do something like, like let's say what Josiah Zayner did where he disabled the gene that codes for the protein myostatin, you know, now you no longer are having any kind of control over muscle growth and development. But what if the myostatin protein does other things too that we're not aware of? Yeah. <clears throat> now, now suddenly you're going to have not only, you know, enhanced muscular, you know, your musculature is going to be enhanced, but what, what else is going to happen to you? You know, I mean, and you know, we, we've got, you know, the, the, um, we already have examples of that with people taking anabolic steroids. Mm. Yeah, you get stronger and bigger, but there's other side effects that I think most men don't really want to ever have happen to them, right? And so, you know, this is the whole idea yeah. is, you know, um, the body is so complex, it's naive to think that you're going to be able to start tweaking, you know, parts of your genome and wind up having the intended effect only. Yeah. It very well may have the intended effect, but there's going to be other things that are going to go wrong. Yeah. You know, like and, and Dave, you brought up a really profound point about, you know, the idea of technology, uh, again, having these unintended consequences. Mm. You know, it, it, as, as human beings, we've got this uneasy relationship with technology. Technology solves problems, but it invariably creates new problems. And sometimes those new problems are worse than the problems that we were trying to solve to begin with. So mm -hmm. what do we do? We develop technology to try to solve those problems. And then that creates new problems. And so we, you know, the, uh, there is a, a, a historian and a philosopher of technology who says that really our relationship with technology is really one of enslavement, where uh. we think technology is going to liberate us, but it really enslaves us. And we wind up being like that person trapped in quicksand trying to get out and the harder we try to get out the, the further down we sink into the quicksand and so again this really is is th these are important ideas that i think are critical as we engage you know the transhumanist agenda right because again the the transhumanist agenda is going to be positioned as really the gospel yeah. as this is the way that we're going to have salvation for humanity let's leave behind you know, the superstitious religious systems that, you know, have hindered us. And let's now pursue technology as the way to have ultimate freedom and ultimate hope and ultimate destiny. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is it's really a, a false narrative, a false gospel. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's so important for us as Christians to be able to articulate that. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. John Mark Reynolds or not, but he's done some teachings on how uh, humans are constantly looking for gospel replacements and mm. uh, superhero movies uh, and comic books. The interest right. there is, is often a gospel replacement, right? We're looking for someone who can go beyond us to save us from what we can't save ourselves from. And it's, I mean, the superheroes were doing that because emotionally it satisfies us in that area. But also yep. with the science, it's emotionally satisfying to believe that someday I might not suffer from this thing that I, I have the potential to suffer from. And the yep. only, again, like we said, the only way to avoid true suffering and death is through Jesus Christ. There yes. really is no other way about it. 
Hey, Fuzz, right. thanks for being on the show today. You've been great. Yeah, well, thanks for having me and thanks for your interest in, in the book. Yeah, again, that's Humans 2.0. You can buy that on Amazon. You can buy it on reasons.org. Uh, Fuzz is from Reasons to Believe, one of our favorite organizations on the planet. Amen. And uh, if you if you go to, Re- we'll put a link there. If you go to truthrevolution.tv, we'll put a link to their website. We'll also uh, put a link to the book, Humans 2.0, Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Perspectives on Transhumanism. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. <laughs>